Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. I want to open the program this week with something which is really under the headlines. Our president, Herzog, went to visit the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, and he visited all the dignitaries, and he went to all the important places, and he even opened up an an Israeli exhibition. And uh, there were a million pictures taken of him and his wife, and it was all a very successful visit. There was one thing that was not mentioned. You had to look very closely, and someone did notice it and remarked upon it in the paper. And that is the following. If you look closely at the president at all these fancy meetings, he had a sort of a scrubby look on his face. He didn't have a beard, but he wasn't very well shaven. So you would think going to something as important as it is, you would really shave every hour on the hour, or at least every day. Turns out that the president's mother had died about two and a half or three weeks ago. It is a Jewish custom not to shave during the first 30 days of mourning after the death of a parent. The the president's father was also a president. He was also a UN ambassador. And his grandfather was the chief rabbi before the state came into being and after the state came into being in 1948. So our president honored the memory of his mother, and he honored Jewish tradition by not shaving, even though he attended all these important meetings. And I think that really speaks well of him. When you have a head of state who honors the basic traditions of the state, it speaks extremely well of him. Uh, As far as other items this week, there are a lot of things happening. It looks like Israel might have to face uh, the nuclear-armed Iran by itself, but that's not much we can talk about. But uh, I touch other things. Thanks again for listening. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hi, 
Hi, you're back with Jay Shapiro. The first thing I want to talk about this week is something of really historical importance. Our president, Isaac Herzog, and his wife, Michal, went to visit the United Arab Emirates during a two-day tour. Uh, The uh, establishment of ties took place back in 2020, so there's a tendency to throw around words like historic with every trip by Israeli officials to the Gulf, but the significance of this visit should not be underestimated. By the way, it should be kept in mind that although Saudi Arabia is not part of the Abraham Accords, the flight from Israel to the Gulf with the president and his wife is pretty much routine, uh, traveling through Saudi airspace with permission from Saudi Arabia. Although Israel does not have formal relations with the Saudis, there are obvious ties that could be boosted as the relationship with the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain move forward. The president visited all kinds of people in Israel, and particularly visited the Jewish community, which is pretty important. But the visit by the president of Israel to the local Jewish community is a sign of how far relations have come in such a short time. Jews in the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain have lived openly and without fear of attack for generations. But the ties between those countries and Israel have helped create stronger bonds within those communities themselves. Now, also, Herzog opened Israel's National Day Pavilion at a Dubai Expo. Uh, The Expo 2020 Dubai is a huge achievement for all the participating nations, and it's also a huge achievement for Dubai itself and, and its leaders. It's a remarkable celebration of each nation's unique identity, according to our president. In a short time, by the way, The Israeli pavilion has been visited by more than 600,000 people. In a short time since the accords were announced, bilateral trade has topped $1 billion. More than 120 agreements have been signed, and a $100 million bilateral research and development fund was established. Turns out that Israelis and Emiratis are studying together. They're learning about each other's cultures. And so far, 250,000 Israelis, a quarter of a million of Israelis, have already visited the Emirates. And, And of course, Israel is awaiting the arrival of many Emiratis following the pandemic. Friends of mine, by the way, um, visited... um, visit Bahrain, and they sent us back some interesting pictures of themselves riding around on camels, something they probably never did in Beersheba, even though the opportunity. There, um, our president visited all kind of officials there, like the, the Minister of Toleration and Coexistence, which is an interesting title. Uh, he visited the key, uh, commissioned, uh, Commissioner General of Expo, 
the truth of the matter is, Israel has a lot to offer on a global platform. So they, the uh, leaders of the uh, at Dubai said how proud they were to host the first World Expo to be held in the Middle East, Africa, and South Asia region. And uh, 192 countries participated. So it's obvious that United Arab Emirates are trying to bring the world together into one platform, and, and it's, it speaks well of them. Um, after the launch, uh, Herzog, our president, met with the ruler of Dubai and a few other important people with whom he discussed various issues, including deepening collaboration in the fields of trade, innovation, tourism, and investment. So um, the interesting, they also visit a grand mosque. And um, the, it, and another interesting thing, by the way, Herzog was presented with an exquisite robe that was especially uh, uh, sewn in the honor of our president's um, wife. Uh, but uh, Herzog is already back in uh, Jerusalem. But in all probability, he'll probably be traveling abroad again. So anyhow, opening the, opening opening uh, ourselves Israel to um, <clears throat> to um, the uh, United Arab Emirates in Dubai is really a very very significant thing. Uh, now I want to switch to since I'm talking about the Middle East, I, I want to switch to another topic which I'm not quite sure is good or bad. I'll just tell you the facts as I understand them. I generally don't talk about these strategic things because that's beyond the scope of the programs that I have. But um, there's something called the Eastern Mediterranean Pipeline, and it was designed to connect the gas fields in the Eastern Mediterranean on a route that runs between Israel, Cyprus, Greece, and from there to Europe. And it was a very pretentious project, the European Union allocated funding for the feasibility study, but it turns out it really is expensive. Um, it's very high cost, uh, about $7 billion, and it's also very long. It's close to 2,000 kilometers. So uh, that's, and so it also turns out that Italy where the pipeline was supposed to reach from Greece, a lot of people were opposed to it. They're afraid it's going to mess up the environment. The um, So there's a lot of opposition. Then what happened was, and that's the latest thing, the United States clarified its position. The U.S. Embassy in Athens issues a report that said that the U.S. was diverting its support towards the planned connection of power cables between Egypt, Greece, and Africa, as well as cables between Israel, Cyprus, and Greece. In other words, the Americans are preferring to invest their money in electricity and not in gas because they claim that the gas will mess up with the energy factor and the environment, whereas electricity won't. So the United States uh, claims it's remaining in support for efforts to promote regional cooperation between Israel, Greece, and Cyprus. But again, they pulled away their funding for this particular project. Nevertheless, uh, it appears so far in the last couple of years, between, uh, the alliance between Israel and uh, 
and Cyprus and Greece is getting stronger and it's immeasurably more important than the feasibility or discontinuation of a project of this magnitude because there are common interests and common values and a lot of trust being built between these three countries, Israel, Greece, and uh, uh, Cyprus. And this is this is our region, and the fact that we'll be able to get along with each other is really important. So it could well be that the regional export of natural gas may not be such a good thing, but the fact that there's so much cooperation is really a very good thing. The, the three countries that participated in the project, Israel, Cyprus, and Greece, are, have, in this, have said they're pretty much disappointed that the Americans have pulled out their support. So uh, Israel, by the way, was it was really pretty much advanced in utilizing its gas reserve. And Cyprus has also signed agreements with Israel, Egypt, and Lebanon. So uh, it, it's going in the right direction, but apparently there's going to be some... Um, some barriers to the full cooperation because of the problem of the environment and the expense. But the very fact that Israel's cooperating with these countries in this area is really a very good thing. It's something you could not have imagined only a couple of years ago. Uh, I remember a time when um, the Israeli ships had great difficulty even um, using the waters uh, between uh, Cyprus and Israel. And uh, now we're, we're in a state where there's a lot of cooperation. So there has been tremendous advancement, and that's something to be looked upon. So even though there's some a little bit of setbacks, that can happen in any kind of a project. The important thing is that we live in a very volatile part of the world, and the very fact that these countries, um, which, by the way, uh, have not only different political systems, but they also have very different religions, uh, the very fact they can get along, I think it really, really shows major progress having been made in this part of the world and makes things a lot safer for Israel, as far as I can see. So I'm sure they're cooperating in other ways that we don't hear much about, maybe perhaps in defense also, because this is a sensitive uh, part of the, uh, of the Mediterranean area. And um, there are other countries that have their eye looking here uh, in more hostile ways. So the very fact that we can get along is good. So there's been unbelievably, unbelievable cooperation on the Mediterranean side, an unbelievable cooperation on the other side facing the east toward Dubai and Bahrain. So it's a very different world now than it was just only a few years ago. Things are looking better. I'll be back after the break. Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. 
But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For a lighten up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro, and I want to say a few things about different items uh, dealing with things that are happening here in our part of the world. First of all, uh, our president and his wife, President Isaac Herzog, and his wife, Michal, went to visit the United Arab Emirates for a two-day visit last week. Uh, following the establishment of ties back in 2020, uh, people, there's a tendency to throw around words like historic with every trip by Israeli officials to the Gulf. However, the significance of this visit by the president uh, of Israel and his wife should not be underestimated. The presidential tour, which was two weeks, it was, I'm sorry, two days, and it was really busy, uh, they went to Abu Dhabi and Dubai, and the, the itinerary included official meetings with the uh, UAE Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation, the, the, the ruler of Dubai, the Commissioner General of the Expo 2020 Dubai, and, and the UAE Minister of Tolerance and Coexistence, uh, as well as representatives of the business sector, and perhaps just as important as their visits to the Jewish community. It should be kept in mind that although Saudi Arabia is not part of the Abraham Accords, the flights from Israel to the Gulf, which have become fairly routine, travel through Saudi airspace with permission from the Saudis to pass over. Although Israel does not have formal diplomatic relations with the Saudis, there are obvious ties that could be boosted as the relationship with the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain move forward. And by the way, as sort of an aside, but interesting, the according to a statement issued by Israel's government press office, the president, during the trip, visited the cockpit while flying over Saudi Arabia. He looked over the Saudi landscape and called it a very moving moment, which I'm sure it was. So, to sum it up, the visit by the president of Israel to the local Jewish community also as a sign of how far relations have come in such a short time, only a few years. Jews in the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain have lived openly and without fear of attack for generations, but the ties between their countries and Israel 
have helped create even stronger bonds with, with the Jewish community there. The links between Israel and the Gulf continue to strengthen, reinforcing the fact that Israel is an integral part of this region and can contribute to its growth and stability. So continuing to bridge the gulf that existed before the Abraham Accords is really important, and that's why the presidential visit is really historic, and you can even add that it's heartwarming. It was a very nice visit. So that's item number one about what's happening in our region. And the other thing I want to mention, although I'm certainly not an expert in these things, is about the, the, the Eastern Mediterranean pipeline. It was a pipeline designed to connect the gas fields on the Eastern Mediterranean on a route that runs between Israel, Cyprus, Greece, and from there to Europe. And that was a very pretentious uh, project uh, after they discovered gas in this region, in the Mediterranean. The European Union has allocated funding for a feasibility study of this really ambitious, ambitious project. However, the feasibility study encountered a number of question marks uh, due to its very, very high cost. Also, the, uh, the pipeline was supposed to reach uh, Italy from Greece, but a lot of people there are opposed to it because of the environmental problems, uh, including the opposition of the people in Italy who live around, the, uh, live around where the pipeline is supposed to go. And also, Turkey uh, opposed the project, claiming it was going through its own economic waters in the Mediterranean. Now, surprisingly, the United States has clarified its position in the last couple of weeks. The U.S. Embassy in Athens issued a statement in, on around the, the first week of January that um, confirmed other reports regarding a U.S. withdrawal from the support for this project. The statement actually said, that the United States was diverting its support toward the planned connection of power cables between Egypt and Greece and Africa, as well as a cable between Israel, Cyprus, and Greece. So, in other words, Israel is talking about moving gas uh, into Europe. The Americans are saying, no, they'd rather have electricity that's cleaner. So the Americans claim that the, these projects will not only connect the vital energy sectors, but it'll prepare the region for clean energy. In other words, electricity versus gas. The United States claim it has remained strong in its support for regional projects that include Israel, Greece, Cyprus, and the United States. So Americans are paying um, lip service to supporting the new relationship between uh, each, uh, between um, Greece, Cyprus, and Israel. Meantime, they're taking away their financial support. So the, it could well be that the Americans are taking their support away because the, the, prob, the probability 
based upon the studies so far, is this project might be very impractical or extremely expenses, expensive. So uh, it, it, it should be remembered, by the way, that the main importance of the pipeline was a political strategic uh, is showing how there could be cooperation between Israel, Greece, and Cyprus with energy potential for Europe, but it could well be that it's just too expensive and they can't go through with it. Nevertheless, the, the alliance formed between Israel and uh, Greece and Cyprus is really more important than the feasibility or discontinuation of the project of this magnitude. The common interests and the common values and the trust built between these three countries are one of the, really, the cornerstones of the regional relationships of the last decade. So even though the project may not go through, it's, it shows that there could be close relationships with these three key, uh, three countries. So... Uh, that that is that the good news is that the three countries are closer now than they ever will ever were, even though the project itself might be uh, might be discontinued. But you can't overcome the financial problems. Everything I said up to now is with the good news about what's happening in this area. Now, uh, not such good news, but I don't think really know how important it is is that Amnesty International put out a report uh, called Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians' Cruel System of Domination and Crime Against Humanity. And this is a report put out by Amnesty. Various NGOs said that the report criminalizes Israel as an ethnic Jewish democracy without mentioning or similarly criminalizing Palestinian plans for their own ethnic national democracy in place of Israel. The, the report accuses Israel of apartheid both for not withdrawing to the pre-1967 lines and for not accepting a Palestinian right of return to sovereign Israel for Palestinian refugees. Uh, the ADL, by the way, commented on, on the report and said that the report's delegitimization of the Jewish right to self-determination in its historic homeland, but also undermines the vision of a mutually negotiated solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that will provide security, dignity, and self-determination to both peoples. Incidentally, the report also failed to provide historical context about the growth of the Jewish population in Israel with respect to details of Jewish refugees from Arab lands or, or Holocaust survivors. In other words, the report was a tremendous attack on Israel. So, of course, the Jewish organizations respond. Conference of Presidents of Jewish Organization in America said the report disregards the fact that Israel's robust democracy grants its Arab citizens full rights and, and equality. The, uh, the idea of calling in Israel an apartheid state, uh, just as the Arab countries such as United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan were making peace with Israel. So that runs against 
what the report said. The ADL said that the uh, report would lead to intensified anti-Semitism. So um, I just passed this information to the listeners for what it's worth. It's really not worth much. I'll be back. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. Amnesty International put out a report labeling Israel as an apartheid state, and they're trying to criminalize the existence of Israel as the national homeland of the Jewish people. Our foreign ministry put out a report in response that said the report denies Israel's right to exist as the national state of the Jewish people. Now, Amnesty International is located in Great Britain, and they put out a 211-page report. And the title of the report is Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians' Cruel System of Domination and Crimes Against Humanity. That's a pretty wild title. It's interesting that Amnesty doesn't call Syria anything like that, doesn't call it an apartheid state, uh, where the regime has murdered maybe half a million of its own citizens, and it doesn't call Iran an apartheid state, and everybody knows what Iran's doing to its own citizens. Now we, our foreign ministry, answered with a nice, a nice wording. They said that our country may not be perfect, but we are a democracy committed to the international law, open to criticism, with a free press, and a strong and independent judicial system. Now, a lot of Jewish organizations uh, responded to this report uh, after they got a copy in advance. And um, the uh, it, it's interesting that Amnesty tried not to have its report released publicly. I don't know. I don't know exactly the details, but the report was made available. And. Uh, the what the what the uh, charge is, and it's interesting that they're trying to transform Israel's conflict with the Palestinians into a racist conflict that is simply not the truth. There is an organization called the NGO Monitor 
said that uh, the um, that the uh, that the amnesty exploits uh, all kind of anti-Semitic charges to uh, the, to transfer the conflict from a dispute over land into one of racism. The, the today racism is one of the worst accusations that you can be charged with. And the South African apartheid is one of the worst human rights crimes in the 20th century, uh, according to the defenders of Israel. Now to accuse Israel of apartheid is accusing Israel of essentially being like uh, South Africa was. The, uh, the charge, by the way, invokes a plan of action of boycott, international isolation, and elimination of the Jewish state. The uh, it, it it's not it's in, it's simply that the report is uh, is not simply criticizing the state, but rather saying it's an illegal thing and has no right to exist. Now, Amnesty International is the fourth left wing NGO to accuse Israel of crime of apartheid in the last two years, but it's not the only country. Um, against which this charge has been issued. It's also accused Myanmar of apartheid. So uh, these, um, the, there are similar accusations against Israel by all kinds of human rights organizations like uh, the Human Rights Watch. There's an Israeli group called B'Tselem. There's one called Yesh Din. But they've limited their apartheid charges to the West Bank. Whereas these other organizations spoke of Israel actions of apartheid, both within its sovereign territory and within areas of its military rule. According to a lot of people who have seen this report, which really hasn't been issued yet, but apparently it's become available, the document examines allegations of apartheid against Israel made since 1948. And since then, since the entire history of Israel being accused of apartheid, the Anti-Defamation League stated that the report's allegation that Israel's crimes go back to the sin of its creation in 1948 served to present the uh, Jewish state as an illegitimate and so all the other NGOs said that the report criminalizes Israel as an ethnic Jewish democracy without mentioning or saying else about Palestinian plans of their own ethnic, ethnic national democracy. The report accuses Israel of apartheid both for not withdrawing to the pre-1967 lines and not accepting a Palestinian right of return to sovereign Israel for Palestinian refugees. The report seems to ignore the fact that there was a war, and Israel in 1967 took over what's called the West Bank to defend itself. The uh, Interesting, by the way, the number of people now deemed Palestinian refugees, they started, I think, with something like 400 or 700,000. Now they got about 7 million. <coughs> If they came back into Israel, they'd overwhelm the state and end its existence as a Jewish state. So the whole idea of bringing them back makes no sense. The Anti-Defamation League, of course, responded by saying things like the Jewish right to self-determination in its historic homeland is being disregarded by this report. 
but it also undermines the vision of a mutually negotiated solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that provides security, dignity, and self-determination to both peoples. These are all very fancy uh, words. And by the way, the, uh, they also took exception to the lack of context in the report because uh, they presented Israel's demographic concerns with respect to Palestinians, but it said nothing at all about Israel's security concerns. The, the report only talked about different uh, publics, to numbers of people. It didn't say anything about the fact that the Palestinians declared they wanted to destroy the Jewish state. And they, all, they also uh, failed to provide accurate historical context about the growth of the Jewish population in Israel. The, uh, recording, Israel brought in a lot of Jewish refugees from the Arab lands, and they brought in a lot of uh, Holocaust survivors who were, who were uh, essentially stateless. The, the report really ignores the history of Israel, and now it accuses Israel of ethnic clean cleansing, which is something what the Arabs really tried to do. So it's pretty much the other way around. The report also spoke of Israel's discriminatory practice against Arab citizens, uh, which is simply not true. They, they don't take into the fact that there are Arab members of Arab parties in the Knesset of the state of Israel. And, um, and, and if you think about right now, considering the fact that Arab countries like the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Morocco and Sudan are making peace with Israel, you wonder how they can accuse Israel of being an apartheid state and being anti-Arab if we're in the process of making peace with the, uh, of these Arab countries. So uh, Amnesty wants to use sanctions and boycotts and arrests of Israeli officials to attack Israel's existence as a Jewish state. It's interesting that much of the Arab world really is moving to peace with Israel now. Uh, the, the president of Israel flew to the United Arab Emirates by flying over Saudi Arabia with the, per, the permission of the Saudi Arabian government. So uh, these, these, uh, these organizations have campaigned using pseudo-reports to accuse Israel of apartheid. Uh, the, uh, about a year ago, the Human Rights Watch report put out another report, which is virtually identical. So Amnesty jumps on the bandwagon to, bo to boost the apartheid uh, hate campaign. It could well be the report like this would it would lead to increased anti-Semitism, would place Jews in danger around the world, but it doesn't seem to bother these people. Uh, I I uh, saw this report about um, this news report about these this report being issued by Amnesty. The truth of the matter is, I I looked on the internet, but I couldn't find out any information really about who and what Amnesty is. They're busy saying bad things about Israel, but I, I've been unable to find exactly uh, what this amnesty organization is composed of. Who are the members? Are they, are they individuals? Are they countries? Uh, and if so, which countries and which individuals? So they're busy talking about Israeli discriminatory practices, practices including practices against its own Arab citizens. But the, as I said a moment ago, the very fact that Arabs vote in Israel 
and that our government has presented uh, presently put forth in its budget this year a tremendous amount to improve the uh, Arab community in Israel, improve it physically, you know, the streets and education and things like that. All this is ignored by the by amnesty, which can best be described as simply an anti-Semitic organization with a very nice title that make it, makes it seem legitimate. But it's like all the other anti-Semites, anti it's, it's bigoted, it's prejudiced, and it resorts to lying or ignoring the reality of what Israel really is. I'll be back after the break. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 